When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's go back to 2011. Look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back. Oh, baby, let's go back with Squidge. And you join us live for the Squidge Rugby World Cup Retrospective podcast, where this this week we are joined by the man who joins us live so frequently, so <laughs> regularly. Uh, Mr. Nick Heath, how are you doing? I'm really good, thanks. That phrase actually got me into trouble once because, um, uh, well, I, I basically used to do so many parody versions of presenting my own sports shows before I mm. became an actual sports broadcaster um, that I was doing a Premiership uh, A-League game, uh, the Premiership Shield, as they cannily mm. called it one season. And I'd done so many kind of almost Martin Tyler-esque, you know, live, live, how many times can you say live in a sentence? And I did end up throwing to a break and saying something like, uh, I, I, I double lived, basically. I was just like, so uh, so that's how the coaches are feeling. Join us live after the break when we'll be here for Newcastle Falcons against so-and-so live. <laughs> <laughs> We were live twice there. Excellent. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pitfall. It's better than not being live at all. <laughs> yeah, but no, lovely to be here. Lovely to be on. Thank you for inviting me. Well, what if you went in the opposite direction and you went, you join, you know, join us live where Newcastle Falcons will be playing on a delay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Often it feels like that if you're on various, you know, platforms or phones or it's like, oh, I'm, I'm a full thirty seconds behind. Here. Oh. It's the worst, isn't it? The mm. amount of time, especially when I was in uni and I was watching games on my laptop and I was following along alongside on Twitter or like I was getting yeah. messages from the the other person. Will Owen, how are you doing? How are I'm you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Good. I'm all right. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I'd be getting messages like 20 seconds before there was a score, yeah. you know. I was just yeah. anticipating a great kick that's upcoming in 20 seconds, <laughs> yes. you know. Yeah, Twitter's a nightmare actually because Twitter is so quick that yeah. you know you know if a conversion's gone through or a, or a crucial penalty in the last minute's gone through before it's on telly, so you actually have to start yeah. not w- watching along yeah. as many yes. of us th- do these days. I, I met yeah. a guy who worked for Twitter years ago. He said the biggest revolution that we never predicted was the impact it, it's had on TV. And I was like, mm. Yeah, mm. fair point. It's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. The other thing with those messages I just mentioned is because they're not always specific, you know. So often it would just say George North in all caps, yeah. and you've got to work out that could mean anything. Yeah, and like, yeah. I remember before, actually, the George North try uh, out in France, the second try last year, just getting a text from you, Mr. William, brother person, yeah. just saying, ha ha, Uge. That That's could bad. have meant anything. Yeah. 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 And that was about 30 seconds behind, so the scrum was still setting. That is the vaguest text I've ever sent. Because it's like, oh, Uge's yeah. being a twat. I wonder what he's done now. You know? <laughs> yeah. The yeah. There's nothing horrendous. specific about that, is there? Yeah. So the idea today is that we're looking at another game from the 2011 World Cup England's 41 10 win over Georgia. England's second game of the tournament, and Georgia, indeed, second game of the tournament. Uh, Nick, you were in New Zealand. 
I believe. I was, I was, yeah. In fact, I'm going to uh, reach now for the di- the little red book, which curiously is just a very portable. We're, we're, I know, I know, we're audio, but I'm showing the the gents here on Zoom. It's it's a little red and black uh, ruled book, which mm. curiously I've yet to fill, despite the fact that the first entries in the back of this are my accommodation for the 2011 <laughs> World Cup. Wow, amazing. Because it's it's basically so portable that I take it to meetings when I can't be bothered to take a bag. So actually, I've, yeah. it's been free, infrequent. But yeah, Friday the 2nd of September, I flew to Hong Kong, uh, then mm. on to Auckland. And then, yeah, the one thing I didn't, I'd completely forgotten about, because obviously the game we're talking about took place in Dunedin. And I remember thinking, oh, I, I remember being quite familiar with Dunedin. I don't know, I must have stayed there a bit longer over one of the games. I forgot I was there for about two and a half, three weeks because England were just based there for that pool stage. And right. Yeah, so it's no one, and there is not enough in Dunedin to keep you entertained for, <laughs> for two to three weeks, I can tell you that. So, yeah, I stayed with a friend of mine's mum in Queenstown when I went up there. And then, yeah, back for this game, I think I, I was in the Leviathan Hotel, mm-hmm. which was still operating despite the fact it looked like all of the guests... Well, the, the sense of the hotel was that it was through another dimension where everyone was dead. <laughs> and uh, and I think... Uh, who was it? Um, Graham Simmons was staying in a similar place, um, mm-hmm. and I met him out there, and I think he des- he described his room as smelling like a penguin had died in it. <laughs> so... So it was the height of accommodation in New Zealand at the time. But yes, I was there. My first ever tour abroad as a journalist. Oh, amazing. Wow. How, that must have been so exciting, lining that up and going to a to an actual World Cup and not just, yeah. you know, for the odd game. Yeah, odd yeah, New it, Zealand as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was it was sort of a risk as well, but I I'd, I'd been I'd been going for a couple of years. I'd sort of started mm. out doing thing doing doing a podcast for a couple of years and then doing then I was all over Twitter when that kind of became sporty in about 2009 onwards. And then, yeah, I'd been doing bits of video as well and, and doing interviews and bits and bats. And so I I then thought, you know what, I wonder if I can pick up enough clients to go over there and do video for them, given yeah. that very few, actually, it, you know, it's only 10 years ago, but very few media departments had their own video teams. So, yeah. so I managed to send a ton of stuff back for ESPN, I think, who I made a couple of grand out of and, and then other clients. And I picked up enough that basically I think, you know, if, if the trip cost me four grand, I came back, you know, I, I made four and a half grand. So I basically <laughs> went and did a World Cup and came back with 500 quid in my pocket, which I was yeah. absolutely delighted with. Yeah. And I, yeah, booked the flights with, with the cheapest travel company I could find, but they were brilliant. I remember they were based down in Brighton. I used them for a few more years. I remember talking to someone ahead of the line, saw in Australia and going, I managed to get my return flights and all my internals for 1300 quid. And he was like, hmm. 13,000 pounds, you've missed a naught off, you idiot. And I was like, <laughs> No, that's what the fans will pay. I've done this myself. It's fine. Yeah. And it was similar to New Zealand, managing to make it work and and staying in motels and crap hotels all over the place. And yeah. you know, all, yeah. all the all the journalists have a word with each other and get put up in in the nice hotels, and they're all in the same places, so they can all catch the buses together and everything. And I was always there with my tripod and bag yeah. full of bits. No one knew who I was or exactly what I did because I didn't yeah. do anything specific. So I was kind of proving myself. I got outed on that trip as well while we we're in Dunedin I, I was uh finally they realized that I didn't sleep with girls so it was uh it was quite the trip <laughs> that sounds it that yeah. sounds like a hell of an experience yeah. yeah a way to spend your rugby world cup 
you know? Yeah, yeah. it was good. But I did, I mean, actually, Grinder was useful back in those days because I was able to sort of message a couple of people and be like, um, Brit Abroad, just looking for some people to go for a drink with and hang out. And they were like, yeah, come down to this bar. So I did. And then the same evening, a journo pack were on a pub crawl. And no. came, came came in and and Paul Morgan who was I think at Rugby World then before he's right. now yeah. com, comms director at Premiership Rugby but yeah walked in and just said oh all right lads look there's Nick Heath looks like he's the first one to pull on tour then while I'm sat <laughs> round a table of four gay men and yeah I was like oh well that's happened then um, so uh, and then then I got the very awkward sort of middle aged white men shaking my hand and giving me congratulations as if I'd won a competition. Um, yeah. Wow. Which like is better than a negative reaction, I have to say, but it is yeah. also hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird middle ground to land in, isn't it? Yeah. Well, oh, be, yeah. oh, oh, I didn't know. Well, oh, well done. Oh, thank you very much. Yes. That must have been a hell of a hangover. <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah it was a little yeah i remember that in fact i think later on that night i went out and walked past a bar and was beckoned in by martin bayfield and his cameraman his cameraman okay. who is or, or producer and his the producer is now uh in, in a big job at channel four so mm-hmm. yeah it's amazing the sort of beginnings of connections you can make particularly yeah. for me then that still being in the in the industry as we say uh <laughs> sort of nine ten years later is uh it's, I, yeah, it's it's good to have. Yeah, I imagine Martin Bayfield's producers like four foot tall, and <laughs> this kind of odd couple together. I mean, he will always look like that anyway. <laughs> yeah, even if he's five foot eleven, you know. I mean, that's just the nature of uh, of such a reflection. Yeah, your experience in New Zealand sounds a lot like mine in Japan last year. In mm. kind of staying in cheap nothing hotels, and you know, a lot of them. The amount of them that smelt of smoke or... Yes, was oh bare. yeah, in Japan they yeah. really did. Yeah, and you, you know, you kind of see smoking and non-smoking room not as an important option when you're choosing on booking.com and then, whew, then, yeah, 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 that's a lot of smoke going on there. Yeah, well, even in the non-smoking ones, they're clearly mm. just desperate for any sort of room. I mean, it really brought yeah. home, although that wasn't the visible side of Japanese culture, it really brought home to me what that working culture must be like because their yeah. their rush hour goes from something like five in the morning till eight in the morning and then yeah. and then they're all going home at between eight and ten at night or yeah. they're piling into hotels where we're all like these rooms are tiny whereas they're literally only in there to smoke and fall asleep yes because they're getting up the next morning to go to work again it's it's an extraordinary i, I don't thing. know if i've Talk, I don't know if you've heard about it or I've talked much about the fact that I accidentally stayed in a love hotel whilst in Japan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was a really weird thing to climb into a bed and think, I am the only person to ever sleep in this bed and not have sex in it. <laughs> That's it was a it's a bizarre, bizarre night that walking through and everyone else being kind of like like a middle aged man with a, a woman in her early twenties and mm. you know, everyone I hope you else. You found a way to enjoy seated. yourself anyway. <laughs> well, um, also, <laughs> moving on. Such mm. such a shit shower. Like from a practical mm. purpose, I see why they designed it as they did. <laughs> but like the entire room is the shower. It's weird. Anyway, probably for the best. To be fair, though, <laughs> it's also in the absolute middle of nowhere, which makes sense. Again, you've got to walk ten minutes to the shop and like half an hour from a bus stop. That took me like mm. half an hour to the train station. It was a nightmare. I don't know. Yeah, why I, I don't think it. that was the top of their their list. The practicality of getting to the shops and back. I don't think that was their priority no. when designing the hotel, but 
No, they, they are, I could tell what their priorities were very clearly. Only one member of the staff spoke any English when I was trying to get my second night cancelled because they are not designed for you staying two nights. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, player! He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it on his own. There's a, there's yeah. a queue coming in. Um, there was not. Anyway, so rugby. Mm, oh yeah, so, rugby. Yeah, I know. Who cares about that? England, Georgia... So, to just pick up on the teams quickly, mm. England made some changes, but it was still pretty much what you'd consider their starting team. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a late change for uh, with Nick Easter dipping out, wasn't there? James Haskell getting in. Yeah, James Haskell, who about a month earlier, Lawrence Delalio had said, if he converts and commits the number eight position, will be the best number eight in the world. That is well. Yeah, how it? did that work out? Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that was, a, that was certainly something someone said. It's a shame because Lawrence Lallio is usually so reliable and just correct in all of his punditry and mm. everything. He says, I'll tell so. you what. I'll tell you what. He didn't book that love hotel by accident when he was in Japan. <laughs> that's that's speculation. Was, I think he was hoping for that cue that you that was going to follow. Was, you. was he in the bunk above? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> we we had a moment where our eyes met. Yeah. I know we had in the same room. Sorry. Uh, what? Um, <laughs> Yeah, because Lewis Moody was skipper then, wasn't he? Because uh, yeah. they were they were resting Mike Tyndall for this one. They'd lost Andrew Sheridan. There was no Courtney Laws. Mm, who was banned. Yeah, no Richard Wigglesworth for this one. Ben Foden at 15 still. Um, pre-veneers, pre-teeth whitening. Um, <laughs> it, all, it all went downhill very quickly once that happened and yeah. he appeared in that mm, BMW yeah. advert. Once the pop star career became more interesting. Yeah, yeah it was quite... Yeah. But hilariously, like, he was... He, ben was a very nice guy. Got mm. on with him very well. But yeah, as soon as he appeared in that BMW advert where they were showing off his singing talents, and then he got his teeth done. Yeah. Then he double booked himself in the Love Hotel. He's sort of the rugby version of Anna Kornikova. Um, <laughs> sort of the moment the modelling started, the the sporting endeavour decreased. He mm. probably could have been decent for another few years if he'd not done that. Yeah. But um, there was a moment looking at this team because Shantae Happe is uh, is also you know in in the centres. He's the one who's come in for Tyndall. And I was yeah. li- I was living with a best mate of mine at the time. And and this sort of era of the England team, there was a moment where my my lovely friend Vicky, who doesn't give a hoose about rugby, but she she saw me writing about two England rugby players called Shantae and Courtney, <laughs> and she honestly was just like, "Is this a women's team?" <laughs> Um, and uh, I was like, no, no, it's not. But I, it, it's stuck with me ever since. <laughs> we write about names. how they ought to call up Steph Armitage sometime soon. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good. Excellent. Very quick. Yeah. But yeah, it does make you think then. Oh, it's Shantaine and Courtney. Hello. <laughs> um, it was. So this was sort of the era of Shantaine Harpe. And he was one of those players at the time that I... I sometimes look back on these and think maybe, you know, if I'd watched them with the the eye of the man who went on to do all the Squid Rugby videos, maybe I would have got them. But at the time, I just never quite got why Shantaine Harpe was the best centre England had. It just yeah. never quite... I was just like, they've got so many teams and so many options. How is he the best? Because yes. Harpe scores two tries in this game. And just mm. in my notes, yeah. when he scores his second try, I've just got written down, Harpe scores again. What the fuck? So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I struggled to figure him out, but yeah, no, I I, I was a bit the same. It, you know, another another nice bloke, but yeah, it's sort of you know it it tells you what you need to know about Martin about Martin Johnson's understanding of a backline. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just generally, I mean, 
Uh, I made a remark when we had the last England game, which was against Argentina, just because of the sheer penalty count. And that didn't drop off here whatsoever. No. The, that's the thing. Like Georgia weren't particularly potent in attack. I mean, they tackled pretty well. But otherwise, I, I don't think they looked like a massively threatening team. Yeah, England gave them so many chances on the ball. And there was a point where, in the first half, England had scored two or three tries. And possession, you know, territory was 80-20 in favour of Georgia still. Such yeah. was the amount of penalties. I think in the end, England was probably approaching twenty penalties given away in the game, which is just mm. bizarre. And again, I can't help but kind of put it down to Martin Johnson because, again, like he was fuming about the way you know they were giving away all those penalties. But he's picked you know a front row of Stevens, Hartley, and Cole. What are you expecting? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I mean, on the Johnson thing, uh, all in all, when he was announced as whatever he was announced as coach or which they then sort of molded into him being team manager rather than actually a coach but hmm. i think it was clive woodward said something about that whole appointment which i had suspected might have been the case because if you're martin johnson you've lifted that rugby world cup in 2003 yeah and hmm. you've you've only recently stopped playing and you've got time and credit in the bank to go and go and train as a coach go and go and take you know four or five years even maybe even eight nine mm. ten years yeah for then there to be that moment that England would probably come calling right and with with your yeah. reputation to go for it yeah so it said to me an extraordinary thing about the potential insecurity of the man deep down yes. that actually the moment England turned around and said oh do you fancy doing this he was like yes please and and Woodward said I you know I I actually advised him I said you don't need to take this now England will come calling again maybe go and yeah. get experience and apparently John was like no I don't think, I don't think you you can't turn down a chance like this and I mean he fucked it and uh, <laughs> there's yeah. uh, it, the the proof was in the pudding and he sh- he should have he shouldn't have taken it but yeah I was amazed that that he showed that level of ultimately what I think was insecurity to take a job that he just wasn't qualified for yeah um, yeah but, and I um, think I mean and and sorry go on squidge no I just I think there's a total lack of self-awareness in Martin Johnson yeah you know I just certainly don't at think... this point yeah yeah oh yeah no I think it's grown since actually he just obviously only just watching him as a pundit but yeah, during his kind of playing and coaching career, I don't think he was he was aware that he was good, you know, mm. because people kept telling him it, you know, and mm. he, he obviously went on to win the World Cup as a captain, and that will do things for your ego, you know. All I just got a tweet from Razzy Erasmus, and that did things for my ego. But you never mention it. No, I I never mentioned it. Yet I am very aware that I understand the game and very, very funny. I got I got followed by Nickelback on Twitter. Yeah, did you? Oh, yeah, no. Nick Heath Nickelback. I mean, I'm, I'm not proud of it, but it, but it happened. Wow. Also, also, also Denise Welsh. I'm probably proud nice. of that. Nice. Wow. Nice. Yeah. To be fair, I think going off, you know, over the course of lockdown, there's only about four users on Twitter who aren't following you. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so I think you're like Michelle Obama to go, and then that's I it. I was sat there basically with a good friend of mine, and, and we were we were basically keeping in contact over the best sort of crap celeb follow during that time there were a few okay. anyway so Fergal Sharkey being another good one but um, who's but Fergal anyway. Sharkey yeah you see you're showing your youth here um, oh desperately 80s, 80s pop star and long haired buffoon Fergal Sharkey anyway <laughs> it's top uh, of the pops yeah, yeah. exactly but yeah, the the John O'Era was a curious one, and mm. look, I don't know, I don't know when, when, and if you wanted to refer to it. But um, you know, are, are we all aware of the week that England had leading into this fixture? Go on, enlighten me. Dwarf throwing oh, was that, was this, that week? this week? Yep, 
So they had they had only narrowly skimmed past Argentina with a pretty mm. tedious performance. Yeah. What, 13-9 they won? Yeah. And uh, and then they were like, okay, so we're now going to, uh, we're going to go up to Queenstown, you know, just shake, shake off the first game out of our system. Obviously, all this kind of stuff is booked, but the idea was that they'd go up there, you know, relax <laughs> a little bit <laughs> and then come back for the next game to Dunedin. So there was, I mean, I can even check in here. You know, I started in Dunedin, I went to Queenstown and I'm and I'm back in the Leviathan Hotel in Dunedin, according to my, my itinerary. But the England players went up there and Martin Johnson said, lads, go and let loose. And they did. And for, for anyone who isn't aware, they went out to a local bar where the offering was a bottle of baby oil and some men of diminutive height. And they were basically bowling these men greased up down a, uh, a made up kind of Skittles track and uh, clearly having a lovely time. But um, mm. yeah, word got out to a few of the journos that had followed them there for the press conferences and whatever. And then I was actually in a bar with a couple of the journos when one of them was told the sort of the lead correspondent was phoned by the desk and said, right, we've got witness statements. We've got an idea of where they've been, but we need you to go go in there and speak to the venue. And you got the sense that they were about to do one of these big double spreads on where they went, what happened, you know, the timeline with pictures (laughs) and diagrams and stuff. Yeah. And, And he just turned to his number two, the younger of which I shall remain nameless, but he just went. This is how you earn your corn, mate. Off you go. It was like, uh, and and there was a real sense from all the journalists. And this is the one thing that Martin Johnson never got his head around. No one wanted to have to cover this story. No one wanted to be distracted from covering the England team yeah. and what they were doing with tittle tattle rubbish. But Mike Tyndall having some fun in, in a um, you know allegedly having some fun in a cor- <laughs> corridor with a young lady and England dwarf throwing um, was a huge distraction and it was also the fact that if you'd just won the World Cup or if you just had a really tough pool stage or quarter final but you're on your way mm. and you had a week off go and let off some steam if you've just about <laughs> squeaked past yeah. the Pumas then Go and do some I'm... training and get your no get your heads down. And it was this curious suggestion. Oh, we wanted them to let off steam, and everyone was like, "Martin, say to them, say to two of the two or three of the lead, of the leadership group, make it about three four pints maximum, and make sure everyone's back in the hotel by yeah. half eleven midnight." But because he was so close to all those players, Mike mm. Tindall's his captain. All this kind of stuff. There wasn't that separation of kind of headmaster and, and pupils, which exactly. I think they're, 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 it's ideal for there to be in that sort of environment yeah. and that dynamic. And and they absolutely disgraced themselves. Jono couldn't believe the media furore. And I was in the press conference where Phil Edwards from Sky was was almost sort of quite nervous because he knew he had a job to do leading off the questions. And mm. and I remember him saying, Martin, do you not think it's it's time to show a bit of contrition? And Jono just looked at him, you know, frown on the go and uh, and just said, look, rugby player drinks beer, shocker. I don't see what the problem is. And the, it was just at that moment, the whole room went, yes, this is the problem. You <laughs> yeah. don't see you don't see the problem. Yeah. With that, but but everyone else does. Yeah. And and the, the England's media manager at the time was a guy called Will Chignall, who was ex Sky commentator, mm. obviously thought it would be a good idea to get into the more lucrative world of PR and comms. 
and had the worst ride because you ultimately need that role to be influencing a head coach and say, by the way, and you probably don't want to say that or you probably do want to say this and I can advise mm. you on a comm strategy to make this all go away. And he didn't have that authority because it was his first gig and he was straight on tour with Jono, who was clearly calling the shots. And uh, yeah, England were absolutely taken to the cleaners by the media ahead yeah. of going into this game. So it made for quite an interesting week. It sounds it, yeah. I mean, firstly, being handed some baby oil and a load of diminutive men was also something that happened at a hotel in Japan, but we won't go into that. Um, but I've got I to say, think... though, there's a huge contrast between you prepare in the week by tossing dwarves and then you have to handle Mamuka Gogodzo in the Georgian front row. <laughs> yeah, It's a hell of a contrast. Yeah. It's not and my week's yeah, prep not... for Georgia. I think it's similar to the point you're making, Nick, that it's that... There's no difference between the headmaster and the pupils. And Martin Johnson was kind of still, he'd come straight from playing. Yeah. And mm. he was probably thinking, well, after a game like that, I want to go and have a few beers. Rather than thinking as a manager, yeah. thinking as actually I, what's best yeah. for the players. I've got, I've got the World Cup going, thank God. Yeah. yeah. But actually, yeah. no. Actually, His no. role didn't feel like a head coach. felt like he was one step above England captain, you know? That he'd done, yeah. yes. I'm England player, England senior player, England captain. Right now, I'm just one above that, which happens to be head coach, you know? Yeah, R- yeah. Rather than thinking, I've got to prepare for everything the same way, you know, Clive Woodward would have done. Exactly. And and, and that was a, that was the point at which we were we were finding out that actually his role was as team manager. He wasn't yeah. head coach. Yeah. And, and actually, you would go to the training sessions and you would see... Was it was Bobby doing the S and C then? Bobby Stridgen, maybe he I was, so, but yeah. yeah, and and he'd be out with the players, and then one or mm. two other people, but you know, John Wells maybe, but but Jono was yeah, it was Wells, I think, wasn't it? And 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 Jono would just sort of wander around. He barely put a tracksuit on, and mm. you just sort of thought, I don't, I'm not even sure what your role is. And and he'd lead the press conferences, but be incredibly bullish. He hated the media and wanted to keep them at arm's length, which meant it forced the media. This is this is the lesson that has been brilliantly shown the opposite way of, of acting with uh, with the England football media team with Gareth Southgate. Mm. If you yeah. push the media away, then they'll have to start sniffing around for the yeah. truth of what's going on, and they'll yeah. uncover things you probably don't want them to. Bring the media in, cuddle them, give them loads of lovely access on your terms and actually you'll get some really lovely stuff happening and yeah Jono went with the first option shut everything down don't let them near us yeah. and oh. boy did that blow up in his face well, you look at like what Eddie Jones does and what Warren Gatlin's done in bits before him of just being a twat and then <laughs> chuck you've got a, a headline yeah, yeah like you've got a headline you know you've got something to talk about you yeah. don't need to go sniffing you don't need to go looking into anything and because actually Eddie Jones knows what he's talking about, yeah. and so when he says "I'm going to play Jack now at seven, yeah. there's a you know that sounds yeah. like a ridiculous, audacious headline, just a stupid thing he's saying, like an oh Eddie moment, which we're full of. But actually, yeah, it's, it's, it, it makes masters of their really craft nice. in that regard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he so is both things. Away, does he? Yeah. No. Yeah. So so that's the background to uh, yeah to that week, which uh, yeah. which it's... meant you had a team of people that needed to go in there and, and put a performance together, and again sort of yeah they they did score those couple obviously in the in the first half but yeah the halftime score was 10-17 against Georgia which when you've come off the back of an unconvincing win against Argentina it means you've got a team clearly from that first half who still aren't really feeling like they can they yeah. can let the shackles yeah. off and the other interest the other thing worth noting from that first half is that Mariko Kashvili misses three really kickable penalties it's painful so Georgia to watch, could have gone on Gone in ahead. It's very, yeah. it was a very similar to Martin Rodriguez the week before against England. Yeah, that he was just taking I, them from everywhere. And it's like at some point, and in the second half, he misses one between the posts as well. And it just so the one gets thing to watch. 
the one thing Martin Johnson had going for him is he is this kind of big, intimidating figure. Like, yeah. when he walks in the room, you, you know he's there. Yeah. Was that all he had? Because the one thing England seemed to have going for them in this World Cup was that their goal kickers from the opposition team consistently missed <laughs> kickable penalties. <laughs> so did, like, Martin Johnson just go and stand over them in the practice? And just kind of when you watch them doing their warm-up, you just got Martin Johnson looming over the top of them as they're yeah. taking their run-up. Like the wear Yeah, well, the... the... The, yeah. the four, yeah, <laughs> the Forsyth Bar Stadium had a roof, and his head was genuinely touching the top of it. So he was, uh, <laughs> he, was he was looming over them, yeah, quite quite heavily, because it was a game they were playing in that that very white kit as well, which sort yes. of looked looked look quite pure and nice. But on the other hand, I mean, I wasn't commentating then, but it would be a nightmare to see the numbers on the back of because they were just yeah. little little thin oh, yeah. sort of pen, pencil lines. Yeah. They, exactly, they yeah. peeled off really easily. I've never seen enough of a rugby show of numbers that peeled off as easily that England kit yeah and I remember from kickoff I made a note that you know uh, I think on about two minutes England have got a promising attack up the left James Haskell goes to ground and almost like a magic trick from the moment he turns his body to bring the ball to ground and getting to the ground he hasn't got the ball anymore and Georgia then (laughs) kick the ball back and pin England about 10 metres from their line and you're like I don't even know how you did that but you certainly didn't hold on to that ball I'll tell you what happens there David Kasharava happens. Oh yes, who is is it? One of my fa- all-time favorite kind of tier two players because David Kasharava is. You talk about people being self-aware. David Kasharava is the most self-aware player I've ever seen because he has no interest in playing with the ball. He just he is a defensive thirteen. He's like you know Comrade Smith if he couldn't catch. Just, he reads the opposition play. He shuts it down. There, he strips Haskell. He instantly gets rid of the ball because he doesn't want it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Haskell was not his only victim that day as well. Either, no, he? yeah. It was the very much the era of don't have the ball to win rugby games, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, yeah. Kasharov was the man for that. At one point in the second half, he manages to beat two people but still loses 10 metres, which I think tells you everything you need to know about him. The thing is, he would yeah, take so much pride in that because he knows yeah. he doesn't see that stat as two defenders beaten or 10 yards lost. He sees that stat as two people pissed off in the England team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and there was an awful lot of that, though, from the Georgians, who were sort of quite good at turning over that ball and then kicking England back to their own line. There was yeah. there was a line I, I, that I also had forgotten because, obviously, I was over there at, at the tournament and wasn't listening to a lot of the UK commentary, but we were picking up all the remarks on Phil Vickery and co-coms. Um, yes, yeah. And, and, you know, there was there was a line where he said on the 18th minute, I had to write it down, he says, all that work, all that endeavour, then you're back on your own five-metre line. And he's almost in tears. <laughs> um, it, it's absolutely amazing. And, and I, I sort of, I then thought, oh, I remember that. So I was doing a bit of Googling and, and Jonathan Liu in The Telegraph wrote a particularly withering review. And yeah, it's uh, Nick Mullins, I think, commented in <laughs> commentary things haven't all gone to plan i was like yeah sort of um with law suspension <laughs> sheridan out queenstown dwarf throwing and uh and Manu Tuilangi with a full troll doll style haircut it's uh <laughs> it, it was it, it was it was quite the quite the moment for that england team it really really seemed to be and you mentioned that the, the one thing i think georgia really fight and work hard and as you said their their kicking game's fairly solid like Mobko Kashvili has a bad game off the tee, yeah. but he puts in two really good... There's one particular touch find that's yeah, perfect from his own half. Yeah, spiral from like yeah. 60 yeah. yards. Yeah. Bounces out, you know, an inch out from the goalpost, but deliberately so, you know, there's no element of luck yeah. about it. And so it lands as quite... Uh, it's interesting in the least interesting way, in that Georgia are the team playing to closer to their full capability 
but England are so obviously the better team yeah. that the game ends up being far more even than it is. And I noted down as well that if Georgia kicked all the penalties, at 60 minutes, the score would have been 25-22 to Georgia. Wow. Yeah, wow. That's crazy. And yet, you know, Instead, it's twenty two ten. Yeah, because yeah, Coco really keep missing everything. Yeah, yeah. I know. I noticed as well. You mentioned obviously Hape scoring those couple of tries in the first half when he got the second after Toby Flood nearly put Chris Ashton in, and I thought yes. he was going to. Yeah. But um, there, there's a good. I started. You know, my career started doing a podcast on the rugby blog, so this particularly mm. stood out as I saw a bit of live, bit of old school going back to actually live blog commentary that was being done. <laughs> Uh, online and I saw that whichever the journal was, I think it was Nick Pierce on the Telegraph site, hmm. shared a tweet that Hutch had put out as Harpe scored his second, which uh, tells you all you need to know about Shantae and Harpe. It says I bet no one had Harpe in their fantasy team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's two fantastic. tries and the opening two tries of the game. No yeah. one betted on that. No. Not, you know, there were more bets on David Zerokashvili to score the first <laughs> two tries. Yeah, and Toby Flood, you know, he was working his socks off. One of the nicest men in rugby, and but I, I always loved, I always loved watching him because, like, those moments when he would, you know, step off his foot and try and really attack that ten channel. Mm. He's always looked like the man to whom that is the hardest work, but he would still have a go. Yeah, I just, I, I've always loved, ad, admired his ambition for having it, and I don't think he's he's not a particular slouch or anything, but it no. always looks like, no. oh God, I'm going to try and get through this gap now. Watch me go. It's just like, oh, hope you get there, man. He turns to his centres and just covers his mouth and just goes, Psst, I'm going to attack the line now. Check yeah. this out. <laughs> yeah, it is a bit like that. You can see it coming, and you can see him really having to get his body to go with where his mind's going. <laughs> but he does it quite a lot in this game. Yeah, he, he does just it well. Decides it, yeah, but yeah, just decides to keep going and uh, and trying to get through that channel. Do you know what I find interesting about Toby Flood in this World Cup? Looking back on it, right, A, you know, partly he's been in the form of his life earlier this year, fine, whatever. But mm. at this point, what did I say when I watched Toby Flood? What did I think about? Because he wouldn't run into the post for another four <laughs> months. <laughs> like, just, just, because now every time I hear Toby Flood's name, I think of that perfect moment of like Buster Keaton physical comedy as he runs into the post it's a bit it's a bit like thinking about life before certain songs existed isn't it or like before before pop was made like well what were people listening to what what happened yeah. in that time time before that moment <laughs> I'll tell you what right New Zealand this World Cup I don't think <laughs> what were they doing without the Black Eyed Peas I don't know if it'd be any different because exactly it was entirely moves like Jagger and Oh, black Eyed Peas, yeah, they black, played... black Eyed, um, yeah, moves like Jagger. I I disliked that song when it came out over that summer, and then it was played every stoppage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My God, <laughs> stop it! Stop <laughs> it! Stop it! Not again! And the amazing thing about Super Rugby Aotearoa is clearly no songs have been released in New Zealand in the meantime. No, nope. like those two were contemporary hits. You know, they'd come out in the rest of the world about six months earlier, which he thought was the time it took to get things over to New Zealand. But yeah. apparently, no, they're still struggling to get any music since over. Like I'd have thought yeah. they at least got Happy by Pharrell. No, nope. the last the last shipment of LPs must have gone down with the container, and uh, you know <laughs> yeah. that was it. They've still just got the one that arrived in in yeah August two thousand and eleven. Two weeks before lockdown began, they heard a <laughs> shipment of Crazy in Love. Yeah, and like, whoa, <laughs> guys, I've, I've heard this amazing new song. It's called Seven Nation Army. Yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing new song. It's called Beethoven's should... Seventh Symphony. <laughs> we should we should use that at a rugby ground. So, I always think this, like, I can't imagine what Jack White's bank balance looks like on a Monday morning, because, like, 
the amount of sporting events that play Seven Nation Army every single weekend, he must get such a payout from that. Like, yeah. Mm, you'd hope so. Yeah. Probably not. But yeah. yeah, you would hope so. Yeah, I, I thought it, it was... I noted from another bit of finding out comments that were made on this game at halftime okay. mm-hmm. where we were talking about the discipline and, yeah. and, and the number of penalties. Um, Sean Fitzpatrick apparently in the studio called England's discipline disgraceful. <laughs> Yeah, which which uh, which yeah, I think is is probably about right. And uh, it was a constant thorn in that side, like you say. If mm, you're going to be yeah. picking a front row of the likes of that, and even I mean, Courtney Laws was a penalty machine then. I think he's he's one of those that has perhaps improved in that area in in the intervening ten years or or nine yeah. years. But Dan Cole obviously hasn't. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, penalties. Yeah, I... Every few I, seconds. I can't say anything about Courtney Laws. I've watched Rugby Onslaught or write six blogs. <laughs> but, you know, that's the that's the state of that. You mentioning the commentary, and Nick, you know, you're a commentator. We've, we've covered this ground. And you mentioned before we began recording, you heard some of the Georgian commentary. Yes. Yeah. And I wondered what, what you made of the commentary from Georgia. Yeah. It, it sort of, it sounds a little bit like Two blokes are in a cafe having a cigarette and a coffee, and there happens to be a rugby game on in the background. Yeah, yes, because there's there's very little light and shade in the commentary, and uh, you know, I I I think someone might have said in a previous episode of of this pod about you know, I'm not sure I knew what Georgian sounded like, but it did. I didn't think it sounded like that or something. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think there there was an element of that, but also. There's just two blokes going, oh, no, 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 and sort of you almost want to go, hey, chaps, there's a rugby game, there's a, there's a game on, and you obviously you hear the occasional names, and and occasionally they get a little bit animated, but I was I was quite entertained as to as to yeah, because yeah. I think the first from, from about six minutes on, someone has captured the rest of the game as it was broadcast, but uh, in English and 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 from from the sort of English team of Mullins and Vickery, but mm. um, yeah, the the first six minutes you have to find that uh, that that Georgian output and yeah I, I I found it slightly aggressive fairly glottal and uh but sort of gently disinterested in there being a game going on even though I can't understand yeah. the word they're saying I can't imagine someone speaking Georgian without aggressively smoking that's what I was gonna say yeah. you can very clearly tell that the main commentator just really heavily smokes and you can just yeah. you can just tell yeah. And also the fact that they're, you say they very occasionally get animated. There are, I think, three moments in the match where they get animated. One of them was mm. Georgia make a, a break from her own half by the scrum half with like 10 minutes yeah. to go and they've lost already. There's one when they scored and there's another where they had to try disallowed. They were basically the only mm. times that they acknowledged anything, you know, of there being a game happening. Yeah. And those are just going, oh, yeah, yeah, how are you? Yeah. Sort of. So yeah. I will add <laughs> yeah. some, something else in my notes that I you don't looks see. very Georgian there. Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm fluent. It's the beard. Tis the beard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I right. Something else in my notes. I don't speak a word of Georgian, and yet the tone of voice people speak in when they complain about the referee is universal. <laughs> <laughs> and I could always tell when they were complaining about a decision. That's brilliant. Yeah, Jonathan Kaplan, his fourth Rugby World Cup, I, I noted, and and becoming the becoming the referee who'd done the most games at that point. Mm. Which, uh, but he he was. I've never seen anyone signal a try disallowed for being in touch in quite the way that Kaplan enjoyed signalling. It was it was as if he was it, it was he sort of inhabited that that African American cartoon character that's shooing out 
sort of chickens and pigeons and and mice and things from an outhouse in cart in Tom and Jerry cartoons. It was very very sort of very quick hand gestures onto the sideline. I just I think these days they tend to just go no try and point to where the lineout's going to be because <laughs> the subsequent nature of there being a lineout tells you who must have been in touch. Whereas Kaplan's very very keen on on sort of you know brooming his way across yeah. the sideline to show that that that's that's why the try hadn't been given. <laughs> Though nowadays referees don't tend to be, you know, like very outward members of the alt right who deny white privilege exists. Yeah, there's, so there's you know, that too. Yeah, there's, that's that's the other side of that. Yeah. Um, that's the other <laughs> side of the. It's like he was just talking about it all game instead of refereeing the game. Just you know, the alt right, pretty damn good. All right, lads, fancy <laughs> checking it out after the game. And that's all Kaplan was doing all game. Is what you made it just sound right, like yeah. there. But the try he's really enthusiastic to disallow is by a right winger. Why didn't he just give it? Why didn't he just think? Yeah. Uh, there you go. There's a little little joke for you. A little joke like Martin Johnson's time as England manager. Yeah, um, Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There you go. So we can come back to the game. But sure. I have prepared a quiz. Ooh. Oh, so, God. Yeah. Mr. Nick Heath. You're the, the second most qualified person in this room to host a quiz. This is my point. So, you have been one of the few people who seemed busier during lockdown with the amount of fingers and <laughs> pies you had, including the extremely popular Nick's Pub Quiz. Yeah, who knew? <laughs> so, I thought taking this, you know, going with this, I began to think, if you could have held a pub quiz and taken Rugby World Cup players with you to be on your quiz team, who would you want? And initially, I thought that was just a fun question. And then I got slightly carried away. Oh, no. So right. <laughs> I've devised a game, and I based it on last year's World Cup rather than the, the 2011 World Cup, um, because that seemed more interesting and more contemporary, which yeah. says everything you need to know about the format of this podcast. So <laughs> what format? my idea is I've, I've written 10 questions. Okay, I've got a 10-question pub quiz. And I have one player from each team in last year's World Cup. Each of those players has a specialist subject that they're really into, that they, they have like an encyclopedic knowledge of, okay? Right, that, that you've and decided I, they have. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, I'm sure I'm sure they absolutely definitely do. Right, okay. So I want you to try and build the best possible quiz team to answer the quiz I've written based on the players this available. Is, 
the, the explanation of the quiz is harder than the quiz itself. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is, this is like university challenge. I can't remember what, <laughs> how, what I'm answering because by the end of the question, I've forgotten the first half of it. Okay, where do you want to start so, then, Nick? So I'm going to begin... Let's go pool by pool. Okay. Okay. Do you want to know the players you're choosing from or do you just want to pick the nation? Uh, just go nation by nation, shall we? Okay, yeah. so pool A is Japan, Ireland, Scotland, Samoa and Russia. So what are we doing now? We're picking a quiz team out of, yes. out of with players from those teams. And how so, many? No, so I've, how many... I've I've selected. You want to pick a a nation, and I'll tell you the the player that's been nominated and their nice. specialist subject. Okay. This is this is too complicated as a quiz format, but I think it's funny, <laughs> so that's what matters. How how many teams are we picking out of these five? Uh, four. So one. For, oh, you'll pick one each from each pool. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So, um, well then, Nick, go on then, go Will. You have you okay. have first pick. Uh, from that pool, I'll take Japan. Okay, yeah. you have on your team Japan fullback Riha Yamanaka, who is oh yes, who is really into Playmobil. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> spot on. <laughs> Nick, which team do you want? Um, I'm going to go Scotland. Okay, okay. Uh, now you've got quite lucky here because Xander Fagerson has oh. two specialist subjects. Which are big cats and buses that run from outside the boring in Birmingham city centre. <laughs> he's, he's memorised the timetables for buses that run from outside the boring. It's niche, but I'll take it. <laughs> Paul B, Kieran Reed, Stephen Kitchoff, Carlo. Ca- oh no, sorry, I'm reading. Yeah. Right oh, now, oh, 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 okay. Excellent. We know who they are. Yeah, Kieran Reed, Stephen Kitchoff, Carlo Canna, Andrew Coe of Canada, and Johan Tromp from Namibia. You pick first, Nick, this time. Uh, Carlo Canna, please. Okay. Okay. Carlo Canna is really into Star Trek, but the original stuff, not this new age bullshit. His words, okay. not mine. Yeah. I, I quite fancy go with uh, Johan Trump. See what he's into. Okay. Johan Trump is really into politics of South America, 1867 to 1921. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Paul C. So you've got England, France, Argentina, Tonga, and the USA. Okay. On the off chance that my quiz partner is playing Scully, I'm going to go with the USA. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. For the USA, unfortunately, it's not Blaine Scully. It's Tony Lambin. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Back row forward. <laughs> Who is... Now, this is interesting because this is something you also overlap with. Glastonbury headliners from 1989 onwards. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Me and him will get on. <laughs> yeah. And Nick... I mean, where have I? I've, I've got some some Scottish and some big cats, some Birmingham, some Star Trek. Um, I mean, I, I need to go. I'm hoping there'll be a, a little bit more diversity with some with you know with Argentina. Okay, okay. You've got Matthias Orlando, who is really into Scandinavian cinema. Oh, okay. And finally, Paul D. You've got Wales, Australia, Fiji, Georgia. And Uruguay. You're picking this time, Nick. Uh, let's go with the Welsh. Come on, I'll, I'll okay. continue my Celtic connection. You've got Hallam Amos, who is a doctor, and yet his specialist subject is Christmas songs. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Brilliant. And tr- and tracheotomy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot of overlap in those subjects. Really, yeah. it was really odd choice to write that so many Christmas songs by Tradiochtomy. Yeah. I'm going to go finally with Australia. Okay, you've chosen Dane Haler Pessy, <laughs> <laughs> who is really into, he's got an encyclopedic knowledge of regular hosts of loose women, past oh and present. God. 
<laughs> okay, so my pub quiz team is myself, Raiho Yamanaka, who's into Playmobil, Johan Tromp, who's into the politics of South America. What years was it, sorry? Uh, 1867 to 1921. <laughs> 1921. Tony Lamborn, who's into his Glastonbury headliners, and Dane Hennett Petty, who's into Luke's Women presenters. <laughs> Yeah. That's 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 quite the team you've got there. Thanks. And uh, and I've, I'm Xander Fagerson, who's uh, going to be backing me up with uh, his big cat's knowledge, but also the timetables at the Bullring in Birmingham. Uh, Carlo Canna, Carlo and his original uh, Star Trek series knowledge. Uh, Matthias Alamano and uh, Scandinavian cinema, and Hallam Amos and his extensive knowledge of Christmas songs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So round one. The thing gonna... about this is, it's like there's ten more that we don't know about. Plus, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, if... Okay, I'm gonna go. I mean, if may, you think... may, maybe maybe Squidge can tell us at any point of our questions who would have yeah. been more beneficial to us. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna read question by question, and if you think either yourself, if you think you can answer it, give the answer, or up a member of your quiz team right. who you think may be useful okay okay, okay. and they yeah. may be able to give the answer for you okay so question one if you wanted to travel from birmingham city center to king's heath via mosley <laughs> which name yes. of us would you take <clears throat> heath fagerson <laughs> <laughs> yep xander fagerson says i is that number 50 only in a scottish accent and xander fagerson yes, not a is... south african accent <laughs> yes um so i'm gonna make some notes uh, that's one point to Team Heath. Yes. Good, good. Question two. An interrobang is a piece of punctuation coined by marketing executive Martin Speckman in 1962 as the written equivalent to what? I'm pretty stuck. Me and my team have conferred and we're pretty stuck on this one. Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not confident either. An interrobang is a piece of punctuation coined in 1962 as a written equivalent to the shrug of the shoulder. Okay. Is there any players? It would have been if if you had Canada's Andrew Coe on your team. <laughs> he's an expert on punctuation. <laughs> I thought he might be. Oh, thanks, Andrew. Sorry, you couldn't be with us. <laughs> okay, question number three: Finnish auteur Aki Karasmaki claimed to retire from filmmaking in 2017 following the release of which of his films? <clears throat> Heath mm-hmm. Alamano. <laughs> yep, Matthias buzzes in. He says. The other side of hope, and he would be absolutely spot on. Um, Two 0 It's a funny movie. I like. I like the other side of hope. It's good. Okay. Question number four. <laughs> I'm lagging behind. In here. Gene Roddenberry's original treatment for Star Trek, what was the original <laughs> name of the Star Trek <laughs> starship? <clears throat> Heath Canner. <laughs> I, I appreciate your commitment to the University Challenge bit. Yet Carlo Canna weighs in and says, Hey, it's the Yorktown, only in an Italian accent. <laughs> Excellent. Not in Yorkshire. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hey! <laughs> 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 hey, oh, it's me, Carlo Bully Canna. <laughs> Where's me Orvis? Yeah. Uh, Bullet Tommaso. Can you pass me ball or what? <laughs> <laughs> Question number six. Oh. I'll set off my quiz music for you. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Standing. Question number six. Name a weasel. Um, I'll buzz in, I'll buzz in. Derek. Okay. D- Derek is a weasel. Correct. Ah, very good. You know, of course, you were able to just guess a weasel, but 
if you had had Russia's German Davidov, you could have you could have got away with that because he is an expert in stamp collecting and weasels. <laughs> Fair enough. And also stamp collecting weasels. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He knows. Mm. That's all what of Derek the tends to do. That is Derek. That's Derek's niche, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's classic Derek. Mm. Oh, this has fallen so nicely. Okay. Question number seven. In what <laughs> year did acclaimed Liverpudlian Paul McCartney release the song Wonderful Christmas Time? <clears throat> Heath Amos. Hallam Amos says, oh, he's got, no, he's got like a posh Welsh accent, so he doesn't really have a Welsh accent, so that's fine. I don't have to do that. 1979 says Hallam Amos, is, and he is, is he spot right? on. He oh, is spot well on. Thank you, Mr. Amos. Good. Question number eight. Which story marked Peter Davison's final regular appearance as Doctor Who before regenerating to Colin Jesus Baker? Jesus Christ. Plastic zombies. <laughs> Cybermen strike. <laughs> If only one of you had Tonga's David Halifanua, who loves Laser Quest and the Peter Davison runs the title character in Doctor Who. <laughs> of course he does. And he could have told you it was the Caves of Androzani, which is such a bullshit Doctor Who name. Question number nine. What is the I mean, easiest... I, I... Sorry, go on. Well, I, I, I... no, carry on. I, I won't ruin the suspense of who's won, obviously, but carry on. <laughs> Question number nine. What is the easiest way to be a legend? Oh, 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 oh. Owen Yamanaka. Ria Yamanaka says it's to invent Playmobil. <laughs> yes! He's, he's incorrect. Oh, no. oh that's a shame. <laughs> uh, Johnson, England. Uh, to bowl greased up dwarves down an alley? <laughs> that's certainly an option. If only... The answer will become immediately obvious once you know the player that would have been best to have it. Mm. If you had Uruguay's Juan Pedro Rombies, oh, of course, he would have just said, "Well, just being myself, being born as a Rombies." So is, is Rombies' way. special subject Juan Pedro Rombies? <laughs> it's just brackets being a legend. <laughs> Fair play. I mean, I think Yamanaka no. should fall into that category. But... Yamanaka could easily. Yeah. 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 He's but, just yeah. very much in his Playmobil phase this morning. <laughs> and <laughs> number 10, the final question you'll be glad to hear. <laughs> this refers to the crisis in the Middle East. In what mm. year did the still ongoing Yemen civil war begin? Um, I'm going I'm to try and... Oh, in Trump, hoping... I mean, politics of South America, we might have a bit of overlap in, uh, in knowing what he's on about. Helen Petty's of no use. He's too busy watching those women, so. <laughs> uh, Johan Trump misheard the question and has said, did it start in Argentina? Which it didn't, I'm afraid, Johan Trump. So I've buzzed in so incorrectly we... twice. That's a shame. Yeah. Does, a, does a Frenchman know? Um, did you have a French? I, I mean, I haven't got one. No, oh, I've, yeah, okay. I've got nothing, but I'm just wondering if there's a Frenchman who knows. No, uh, the player that knew was Georgia fly half Ted Wabs and Dadza, who is an expert in daytime soap doctors and the crisis in the Middle East. Was it 1972? Uh, it was not. It was 2015. Oh, oh right. Mm. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So that leaves the final scores as Team Heath 4, Team Owen 1, which means Woo! that truly Nick's pub quiz is well named because he is the champion. <laughs> Of the pub quizzes. Hooray!
Congratulations on the victory, Nick. Thanks very much. I'm delighted. And team, of course. You know. Yeah, and to yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks, Sandra. Thanks, Carlo. Thanks, Matthias. Thanks, Hallam. Um, it's been joyous. Yeah. Thanks a fucking lot, Ryo, Hey, <laughs> Johan, Tony, and Dane. If that's even your real name. Yeah. Yeah, your dog. <laughs> Fat lot of good that knowledge of Playmobil was and loose women. God, actually... this is going to be an awkward piss up. We're going to go on the end of this. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? what? I've just noticed I only read nine questions. Yeah. It's pointless, but, because, you, you know, Nick can still only win, but I missed one question. Sure. In what year did now regular panellist Gloria Hannaford make a loose <laughs> women debut? <laughs> Owen, hail at Petty. Oh, come on, come on, hail at Petty. Hail at Petty, of course, knows it was 2003. Well done. So Glad we found some use for him. Yes. <laughs> the scores are, in fact, 4-2. Okay. I that went far better than I was expecting it to. That's that's a <laughs> good. We didn't good. need to find out about Paul Perez's knowledge of traffic codes from all around the world. <laughs> <laughs> you have too much time on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> Way too much. And the thing is, I know that you have probably ten questions unused there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we'll, we'll limit. In case it, it went to a tie break. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Forever, yes, an eternal tiebreak in which we can we can bring in Charles Olivon's knowledge of the rate of inflation and rare cheeses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so uh, do we have anything else to say about the game? Say about the rugby? Oh, um, well, I I noticed this the the stat that came across. It was only the second time in nineteen matches. I mean, this tells you a lot about Johnson's era. The second time in nineteen matches that England managed to score more than two tries in a Test match. Wow! wow. Isn't, isn't that bonkers? That's when you could, when you consider how you know how much under Eddie Jones they've been capable of of finding the yeah. whitewash. <clears throat> I just, I just think that's amazing. The, the other couple of notes I've got to to round off my my contribution on the game itself was the try that that Tuilangi scores, mm. where Youngs picks him out and he basically runs a Tuilangi line and yeah. comes through. Now you've you've either got a few tired Jordan uh, Georgians there, but I also just thought like a, a bit like what you said earlier with regards to Vlad hitting the post. Like, was there a point at which the world wasn't aware of the two and laggy line? Yeah. And and how predictable it was. Yeah. Because like everyone sees that I, I watched that and was just like, well that's what he does and two people yeah. stop him and then England will create a ruck and go, Oh no, no, he's just gone through. Maybe there was a point at which people didn't know that was gonna happen. Because something similar happened against Wales in the warm up on his debut. Yeah, and against Ireland on the second cap. He, he well. hit one of those lines. Yes, of course, yeah. He quite early on hit one of those lines, and at least Georgia had the excuse of it being late on in the game. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Well, at this point, the thing is, everybody seemed to think Tuolangi was invincible, and like I can remember like yeah. having this kind of ir- irrational dislike, thinking like, oh, you know. And part of it was down to the fact like, oh, he's got like six brothers who play for Samoa, and he's the one who's choosing to play for England. To the point at which, yeah. and me and Robbie discussed directly, <laughs> we have we, we played the the Rugby World Cup 2011 video game quite a lot, and we had to manually make Damani Tuolangi on there because it was before he was in there, and when we made him. We made his name on there, Manu Samoa Tuolangi. So we full named him because we were that bitter about him playing for England. And we've still kept that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, it was also the World Cup where he where he jumped into the Auckland Harbour yeah. off the ferry. Yes. 
So, you know, this was obviously an England team that was that was, you know, really hot on discipline on and off the field <laughs> under Martin Johnson. Mm. And uh yeah, the other what what I had another little bit. Oh yeah, 65 minutes the the try mm. that Chris Ashton scores where he gives it the first yes. splashdown. Yeah. The break comes from Tom Wood mm-hmm. and it really kind of brought me back to the mobile Tom Wood and actually yeah. how quick he was. He steps inside a couple of defenders that come screaming around the corner of the ruck and then makes a good 30 metres before yeah. putting Ashton away. And I just thought, I mean, it, I, I'm aware of the rose-tinted glasses. I'm not going to mix up rose-tinted and rose-coloured <laughs> like John Inverdale did that time. But uh, it, 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 I just thought, you know, am, am I now being a bit of that generational bloke that's going... Cool. I remember when they weren't all as big. Do you? When there was when they could move, when they could run. Hey, eh? remember? Yeah. Oh, they're all so much bigger now, aren't they? They can't run. And I just thought, actually, Tom Wood now is enormous. And yeah. yes, okay, in the latter years of his career, but I just I, the the opportunity for wing forwards, as they were known, <laughs> to be that mobile and be yeah. that quick, yeah. and the threat that people like Tom Wood and the ever rapid uh, Tom Croft were able to have in those sort of positions, where you know there's so much focus on their role as 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 fetchers and and ruck merchants now that actually I think we've lost their ability to yeah. to be truly truly loose and make serious yards. Yeah. Though I think that's swinging back if you look at the way that I think a lot of modern tacks are building things on a back rower who can kind of distribute and play the ball and run mm. a bit. So you had Wales use Faletau as a first receiver quite a lot in the Six Nations. Yeah, and we've seen Hoskins to Tutu in Super Rugby yeah. yeah. oh, putting in grubber kicks through yeah. from He's the back of a scrum yeah. into touch and so on. So I think we're seeing more of it move back that way. Yeah, and I think you know it's it's going to be a case of I can see it becoming very much a choice of what type of back row you want, you know, and what type of back row you opt for, and it being far less uniform than it's kind of swung a lot. You know, over the last mm. few years, it kind of became. Everyone wanted to be a Macora Warbles on a Pocock type. You know, that was what Sevens became for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I can see it becoming far more differential. We'll see Tipperick's and we'll see Pocock's and we'll see, you know, the, the Matt Todd's. Well, I guess, and, and, so and, and the nature of your kind of Underhill and Curries, particularly yeah. the Curry type with England, is, yeah, is, is, is a good exponent of, of that more loose and rapid skill. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think we've gone through, certainly gone through years where, where we lost sight of that. Yeah. It? Yeah, no, absolutely. One thing I've got noted down, I remember when we were talking about the um, Romania game, Romania against Argentina, Yeah, how Romania's defence was terrible over 99 yards, and in the last yeah. yard, suddenly they were incredible and held Argentina out for ages. Georgia were the exact opposite, in that they were a nightmare to play against, up until you got inside the 22, yeah. at which point you went, oh, you've, you know, you've, you've come so far, yeah. you might as well, yeah, you know, just, just yeah. go for it, well done, you know, don't, don't really mind anymore, you know. Yeah, one, but, but you're right. Their tactical kicking in in that game was was actually <laughs> very strong. Off the tee, not so much. But um, yeah, it it said a lot about that England team that they would do a few good things and then cough the ball up and be back on their own line again. And yeah. it, it was work. It worked for a remarkably remarkably frequent time for that Georgian side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also have just to mention. I mean, they're they're trying their disallowed try. I think it's a. I just remembered that they scored, you know, from the number eight battle Yeah. I didn't realise how good a try and how good a finish that yeah. was. The mm. sheer kind of, he catches England off guard. He kind of bursts just before they're ready and then carries two people over the line with him, but not... Good scrum as well. Yeah. 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 
And the scrum was quite interesting in that one team always seemed to be on top. Yeah, and I it never alternated. really figured out which one it was. Yeah. No. So one scrum, England would destroy them. The next scrum, Georgia would destroy, destroy them. And it was never just even. It was always one team was completely on top. Yeah. Fr- Fran- France-England women's match at the Six Nations. Yes. Mm. Yes. It brings, brings that yeah. to mind. Still the best Because all of a sudden, all of yeah. a sudden, second half, France were just destroying England at yeah. the scrum. But um, yeah, yeah it, it's curious and, how that's possible. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a fatigue thing either. You know, no. because mm. uh, in that game, particularly you're on about the England pack around the park didn't look tired in any sense. No, you know that they, no. they were still bringing more line speed than France were, which is why they ultimately won that game. So, yeah, yeah, no, it's an interesting point. Mm. I thought Godzilla was very good as well. Yeah. I thought he kind of got around. Yeah. There was yeah. a point as He's well, <laughs> quite early on in which Georgia had given a penalty just inside the England half. And Good God's a quick taps it and just charges. Yes, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's fun. My favorite thing, because this was sort of the game where, to me, like, Gorgodza was announced, you know? Like, I'd seen yes. him play the previous Georgian game, but, like, this is the one where, like, I watched this and I heard the name Gorgodza and thought, this guy is good. And then Gorgodza actually played the last 15 minutes of this game on the wing because of the Georgian injuries they'd had in the back line. Yeah. So they, well, they ended up, so five players played number eight for them. Really? Well, at least we're at number eight at the back of the scrum. Oh, yeah, yeah. so on the second so row. So Basilai starts there, Gorgodze moves there, yeah. one of the second rows plays there, and the replacement hooker plays there. Wow. And then the <laughs> I seven, that. I think. Yeah. So they just, the last five minutes, last ten minutes, just every They're single scrum people out of the back row. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Until eventually... You go and have a go. It's your shift. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but no, Gorgodze eventually ends up on the wing. And there's one point mm. when George is sort of get dominated on their own put-in. And the scrum off just kind of lazily doesn't know what to do and just thinks, I'll just give it to Gorgodze. At which point, Gorgodze yeah. has no options. He's right next to the touchline. He thinks, right, I've just got to run somewhere. And basically, he knows he's going to touch, but he just sees Chris Ashton in front of him. He says, right, if I'm going to touch... And he just sends Chris Ashton flying. And he just fly- <laughs> jumps into him. And Ashton just goes five yards back and sits on his ass. And then Gorgodze obviously <laughs> then still goes into touch. But he's just like, it's fine. I didn't want the ball anyway. You know, I just wanted to end this <laughs> winger in front of me. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember hearing Nick Mullins in commentary, and I was amazed that 2011 was the first time that this sort of reference was being made. But maybe he's making it to people, you know, knowing he's doing a World Cup and that there aren't as many devoted rugby fans tuning in. There are Mm. more passing fans. But he sort of says, "Oh, and and Mamuka Gorgodze, known as known as Gorgodzilla in his home country (laughs) because of his sort of game." And I thought. Hasn't he been known as this for the for the last twenty years? Like, why are you? But you know, again, one of those moments. You're like, is that the first time we're hearing him called Godzilla? Yeah. In, in, I then remember. Have, feels like we've known that a long time. I remember him playing for Montpellier in the European Cup straight after the teams getting back from the World Cup, and Mark Robson mentioning it over and over again to the point that when he commented on uh, Montpellier the following week. He said, Gorgodze, he's got a nickname, but my producers told me I'm not allowed to mention it. Except in Irish accent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I then did I changed my mind from doing <laughs> I changed my mind from doing an Irish accent last minute, just did a generic voice. Give us some Bob Simmons. Oh Bob Simmons! Hello! <laughs> it's me, Bob Simmons! I'm here to talk about England against Georgia! Michael what Payne. a great break that is! <laughs> what a great break that is by David Kasharava. Bob, Sim- Bob Simmons was also good at that sort of nut sort of noise. Not break to do that. Yeah. What a wonderful <laughs> break. Like what a wonderful you're chance. You're Captain Vegetable there. <laughs> his carrot and his celery. Okay. Do we have anything else on the game or should we move on to our 
mottoms and dot dot dotters. Very quickly, there's a point four minutes into the game where the the clock mm-hmm. at the top of the you know the graphic at the top of the screen says that 804 minutes have been played, which is what it felt like <laughs> at the end. Unless it was a continuation yeah. of the England Argentina game, maybe. But oh, yeah, one yeah. point as well. I'd forgotten. This was, of course, the first cap of one Mr. Joe Simpson, only cap who had been kind of Joe Simpson. Yeah, the and a, and a first World Cup cap, I think, for Matt Banahan, mm-hmm. and also first World Cup start for Toby Flood. Mm. Oh, nice. But yeah, Joe Simpson had been the former scrum off in the premiership that season there have been loads of calls for him to play for england and then for whatever reason i think richard wigglesworth got injured not long before the danny Kerr got injured not long before the world cup and then yeah wigglesworth i suppose yeah wigglesworth went as the other scrum half young starts mm. this game and johnson had not capped joe simpson despite care being injured i think between the first and second warm-ups or yeah. before the first warm-up something like that around yeah. there yeah so he yeah, had it was loads in, one, of time. in one of the warm-up games, yeah. Yeah. He had loads of time to cap Joe Simpson, didn't do it. He ends up going as an uncapped player and then comes on and plays like 10 minutes, takes a quick tap on his first touch yeah. because he's Joe Simpson's kind of player he is. And then that's it. That's his test career over and yeah. done. But he got to go and play in a World Cup, I suppose. So good on him. Yeah. yeah. Should have had a lot more caps. He's a very good mm. player. It's a shame. Yeah. But I... It stinks as well of Johnson not having the wherewithal to either just cap him and have the confidence to do that, yeah. or to do the Eddie Jones thing and go, actually, no, I only want to play these two scrum halves. I'm only taking these two scrum halves. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, anyway. I want, I want, I want to interview Joe Simpson on a, on a BT launch day. Mm-hmm. Uh, or something, or sort of the start of a season day or something, and he was wearing a pair of mustard chinos, and it looked like he had a banana in his pocket. He didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. taking. I, I can't quite link it together, but there's something about him wearing yellow trousers and the surname Simpson, just yellow in the oh, Simpsons. And, good. You know, I can't quite get the joke to work, but it's more wholesome <laughs> than the remark I was making, anyway. Yes, yes, I figured. I, <laughs> yes, maybe he just really wants to start a vegetable shop. Or <laughs> Captain Vegetable. Maybe, Captain Vegetable. Yeah. Captain vegetable. yeah. <laughs> Made it work, team. Made it work. <laughs> Vegetables, which of course Tavita Cavabati knows loads about, he doesn't. His special subject is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, this brings us on at last to our Dick of the Day and Man of the Match. Should we start with Man of the Match? Should we start there? Yeah, I've got sure. Uh, not a lot of Man of the Match contenders, a lot of Dick of the Day contenders. So, Man of the Match, I've got a toss up between two players, and I'm not quite decided which one I'm going to give it to yet. Okay, Ooh. one of them is Mamuku Gogodze. Because yeah. I think that he, despite being on the very much losing side, who didn't play that well, he was, I think, the best player on the pitch. Mm. And England would have scored a lot more tries if he wasn't there. Like the Ashton one that he nearly scored, that was good gods that yeah. stopped him from scoring that. Obviously, I know it led to the half try, but still. So he's one. And the other one is, just because I want to give him man of the match and I'll never have the chance to again, I've just got Joe Simpson written down. <laughs> so I feel like yeah. what I'm going to do is... I'm just going to give Joe Simpson man of the match just as a power move. Just so his one cap, he has a man of the match nomination from somewhere. I think that's fair. I think that's okay. fair. I mean, I, I, I would have I would have nominated Shantane Harpe just so that someone remembers he played for England. Yeah, okay. Both on for similar reasoning oh, there. Similar reasoning. I mean, you know, two tries in the game, but uh, yeah. you know, equally happy with, with Joe as, as the nod there. Equally Shantane happy with Joe as the nod there. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, I I got God's ears are kind of a strong contender as well, which it's hard for a team that loses by yeah. 31 points to have the man of the match. I... I had a moment in the last minute where I thought I was really struggling to pick a man of the match from this. And Shantin Harp is the other one that stands out because he scored two tries. And Toby Flood, I thought, was solid, yeah. you know. But I had a moment at the end where I thought, like, what if man of the match is Tom Palmer? And I hadn't I really actually, noticed. <laughs> yeah. I, well, actually, I had a moment where I wondered about him because he was, at that point, without Jono or, or without Courtney around and... You know, he was he was mm. suddenly you know England's rain man of the line out and uh, yeah. and and had to at least try and give them some platform when you weren't quite sure what their game strategy was elsewhere. So <laughs> curious you mentioned him because uh, yeah. he, he was, was he was almost in my thoughts yeah because he was so nuts and bolts and England's nuts and bolts went well mm. and then at the end he makes a half break and I was kind of like what if it's Tom Palmer I don't know. So it's kind yeah. of it's either Tom Palmer's Gugodze, and because you didn't go for Gugodze, well, I'll put I'll put Gugodze sure, in. Sure. You know, that'll do, that'll do. It'll be Maruka Gugodze. But sorry, Tom Palmer, I'm sure you get man of the match from someone else at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. it hurts that Joe Simpson's got more more nods than him. Yeah, and the much contested Dick of the Day. You want to begin? Sure, I've got a lot of nominations here. One of them is Shantae Harpe for doing a very similar thing to our friend Antfinger, Anthony Fayenga where he just flew in and just did this most insane, blatant piece of blocking ever and basically just speared a Georgian off the ball. Chris Ashton, again, doing that thing that players sometimes do where they catch the ball and put their foot out so they get the line out, but he did it too late and actually just carried the ball out. Oh, yeah, definitely a nomination for me for that. Mario Kurokashvili for missing five kicks at goal. Ben Youngs for doing this incredible, like, Brian (laughs) O'Driscoll-style one-handed scoop up off the floor. And then deciding the best thing to do was a, a behind-the-back pass to James Haskell, whose coordination mm-hmm. isn't the best at the best of times, who obviously drops the ball. That didn't go well. However, I am actually just going to give it to James Haskell himself for not that, but a point where at the back of the scrum, the best number eight in the world, according to Lawrence Delalio, tries to just do the simple, you know, scoop-through-the-legs pass and just can't. He physically can't get the ball off the floor. And he's basically just kind of slapping the ball to try and get it to go up to his scrum off. And he just physically can't control it. So, yeah, I'm going to give it to James Haskell for that reason. <laughs> nice. I was uh, I was tempted by Dylan Hartley for yeah. his yellow card at, at halftime. And also then the decision at that point to remove someone like Tom Wood from the back row yes. as, as the player that you're going to sacrifice in a position where the Georgians are about to strike from a scrum. I mean, that almost makes Martin Johnson... The, the dick of the day for yeah. that move, which, you know, would have capped off a lovely week for him. <laughs> so I'm I'm tempted to do that anyway. I think, yeah, Zirakashvili could also have it for, for simply missing the opportunity to have given the England team a, the, the end of a week to remember really beautifully by potentially beating them and, and, uh, and keeping them under, under the thumb. So, uh, yeah, those, those are probably the, the two that I'd be going close to. But I think if I've, if I've got to make a decision, then, uh, I think I'll just go with Martin Johnson. Yeah. Good call. If in Fair doubt, enough. Martin Johnson, Fair enough. A dick. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it sounds to me like Joe Simpson owns the dick of the day, really. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, there you go. However, yeah, so contender, I mean, Moko really, you, you kind of hard to look beyond missing five kicks, especially when one of them was right between the posts, you know, inside the 22. Yeah. Mm. So hard to look beyond that. But as you, you mentioned, a few of the England players, like Ben Young's just doing a ridiculous pass that wasn't on, you know, standing item. Dylan Hartley, standing item. Yeah, being Dylan Hartley. And... Yeah. But my other big contender, really, is David Kasharava, 
who I love and is also great. And also maybe he wasn't man of the match contention, but he had a really solid game for yeah. what he does. But every time he touches the ball, it doesn't go quite according to plan. So he has the one time where he tries, he's, he beats two men, but still loses 10 meters. He has once where he tries a grubber kick and it looks like someone doing it. It looks like he's never seen what a grubber kick is in his life. So he doesn't do it end over end. He hits like the wrong part of the ball and just like sends it a couple of meters along the ground quite laterally. Yeah. It doesn't really bounce. It just rolls a bit. And then there's another moment where he kind of, he goes to try and do quick hands and he begins to, it's sort of, it's a weird thing. And like, I had to rewatch it because he goes to kind of ship it onto the winger, but he's began doing that before he's caught the ball because clearly he's thinking about it so hard. So he has to readjust, bring his hands back in and then ship it back out. It, you can see his brain process there because any mm-hmm. any action involving the ball is such a conscious thought process for him. And that, but I I find all of that incredibly endearing. Yeah, so it's oh, hard to give it. him the yeah. a dick of the day yeah. for that. So I think the ambi- the ambition alone. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's it's yeah. I can't do it because that's all entirely endearing. He's he'd be dick if dick was a positive term. But instead, I, it's got to be. And I I've got a lot of time for Mel Cooker really as well. But he's yeah. got to be dick it's of the day really. Him. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. enough. Okay, so that brings us through another round of (laughs) another round of this competition to become Grant Nisbet on Rugby Challenge. Nick, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Where can people, if they're not one of these, everyone knows six people don't follow you. Yeah, (laughs) Um, where can people find you if you're anything you're wanting to plug, push, promote? Thank you. It's been uh, a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, well, uh, Q commentator, I think, is the is where I would drive some people if they mm. uh, if they like the uh, the the audio that goes along with their sporting occasions and and uh, those kind of things. I've really enjoyed producing that series. And uh, yeah, the likes of Barry Davis and John Hunt and John Champion, Clive Tildesley, Miles Harrison, Nick Mullins, Sarah Orchard, Jackie Oatley, Bob Ballard. Yeah, tons of amazing names of our mm. of our sporting world that I've had the privilege of spending an hour with. So it's a, that's a podcast series I produced that I'm very proud of and yeah at Nick Heath Sport on all the other channels if you want to want to follow and see me tweet inane memes or <laughs> talk about rugby and media and that kind of stuff but um, yeah yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks, it's thanks been, for on. It's been, been great to have a genuine yeah. celebrity on the podcast as well. So, uh, <laughs> you uh, wanker. Yeah. <laughs> Let alone when we've had the, the pub quiz to go along with it. So um, yeah. yeah, no, it's been great talking to you, man. It's been, um, yeah, really I'm, enjoyed it. You too. I will add as well, Q Commentator is very good. You know, it is worth listening to if you've got any interest in sports media, in in commentary, in kind of the... And there's also that thing I find fascinating just people that are really into their craft no matter what it is and there's a yeah, lot of thank that you, yeah. you know there's a lot of of really going into detail into things that you just accept as a given and i love that no it's i genuinely really recommend it yeah thank you thank you i very haven't much. listened to them all but i, I want to i need to go back and catch up on more of them because they're very good steve um, cram one is very good and okay, uh, and ian, ian dark's one is very funny mm-hmm. it's a good fun hour uh, that's that's getting a lot, a lot of love so yeah enjoy <laughs> yeah i shall well thank you very much for joining us nick thank you thank you thank you as ever that's all right the, whoever you are the other one yeah and we'll see you next time when the game will be one that i am currently getting up the list to see i should have done this before i start the sentence france v canada which is okay one of mm. the most wonderfully bullshit games you'll ever see <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah uh, Canada- what a trail <laughs> yes Canada put quite a few points past France and yet France also 
walk it's 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 fun um in the kind of way only rugby can be <laughs> all right thank you very much and we'll see you then right. good night Bye. mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market